0: Welcome to Old Treasures Made New, your devotional podcast on the go or at home, where we read the scriptures and reflect on them with those from the past. Today we'll be reading Mark 7, verses 1-13, to 13, and then through J.C. Ryle's expository thoughts on Mark. Please take a moment to pause and to ask the Holy Spirit to bring understanding and to apply what we hear. Mark, chapter 7, verses 1-13. you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, If a man tells his father or mother, Whatever you have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. This is the word of the Lord. This passage contains a humbling picture of what human nature is capable of doing in religion. It is one of those scriptures which ought to be frequently and diligently studied by all who desire the prosperity of the Church of Christ. The first thing which demands our attention in these verses is the low and degraded condition of Jewish religion when our Lord was upon the earth. What can be more deplorable than the statement now before us? We find the principal teachers of the Jewish nation finding fault because our Lord's disciples ate bread with unwashed hands. We are told that they attached great importance to the washing of cups and pots and bronze vessels and tables. In short, the man who paid most rigid attention to mere external observances of human invention was reckoned the holiest man. The nation, be it remembered, in which this state of things existed, was the most highly favored in the world. To it was given the law on Mount Sinai, the service of God, the priesthood, the covenants, and the promises. Moses and Samuel and David and the prophets lived and died amongst its people. No nation among earth ever had so many spiritual privileges. No nation ever misused its privileges so fearfully and so thoroughly forsook its own mercies. Never did fine gold become so dim. From the religion of the books of Deuteronomy and Psalms to the religion of washing hands and pots and cups, how great was the fall. No wonder that in the time of our Lord's earthly ministry he found the people like sheep without a shepherd. External observances alone feed no consciences and sanctify no hearts. Let the history of the Jewish Church be a warning to us never to trifle with false doctrine. If we once tolerate it, we never know how far it may go or into what degraded state of religion we may at last fall. Once leave the king's highway of truth, and we may end with washing pots and cups like Pharisees and scribes. There is nothing too base, trifling, or irrational for a man if he once turns his back on God's Word. There are branches of the Church of Christ at this day in which the Scriptures are never read and the Gospel never preached, branches in which the only religion now remaining consists in using a few unmeaning forms and keeping certain man-made fasts and feasts Branches which began well, like the Jewish church, and, like the Jewish church, have now fallen into utter barrenness and decay. We can never be too jealous about false doctrine. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Let us earnestly contend for the whole faith once delivered to the saints. The second thing that demands our attention is the uselessness of mere lip service in the worship of God. Our Lord enforces this lesson by a quotation from the Old Testament. Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. The heart is the part of man which God chiefly notices in religion. The bowed head and the bended knee, the grave face and the rigid posture, the ritual response and the formal amen, all these together do not make up a spiritual worshiper. The eyes of God look further and deeper. He requires the worship of the heart. My son, he says to every one of us, give me your heart. Let us remember this in the public congregation. It must not content us to take our bodies to church if we leave our hearts at home. The eye of man may detect no flaw in our service. Our minister may look at us with approval. Our neighbors may Think of us as patterns of what a Christian ought to be. Our voice may be heard among in the praise and prayer, but it is all worse than nothing in God's sight if our hearts are far away. It is only wood, hay, and stubble before him who discerns thoughts and reads the secrets of the inward man. Let us remember this in our private devotions. It must not satisfy us to say good words if our heart and lips do not go together. What does it profit us to be fluent and lengthy if our imaginations are roving far away while we are upon our knees? It profits us nothing at all. God sees what we are really doing and rejects our offering. Heart prayers are the prayers he loves to hear. Heart prayers are the only prayers that he will answer. Our petitions may be weak and stammering and poor in our eyes. They may be presented with no fine words or well-chosen language and might seem almost unintelligible if they were written down. But if they come from a right heart, God understands them. Such prayers are his delight. The last thing that demands our attention in these verses is the tendency of man's inventions in religion to supplant God's word. Three times we find this charge brought forward by our Lord against the Pharisees. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition, making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. The first step of the Pharisees was to add their traditions to the scriptures as useful supplements. The second was to place them on a level with the word of God and give them equal authority. The last was to honor them above the scriptures and to degrade scripture from its lawful position. This was the state of things which our Lord found when he was upon earth. Practically, the traditions of man were everything and the word of God was nothing at all. Obedience to the traditions constituted true religion. Obedience to the scriptures was lost sight of altogether. It is a mournful fact that Christians have far too often walked in the steps of Pharisees in this matter. The very same process has taken place over and over again. The very same consequences have resulted. Religious observances of man's invention have been pressed on the acceptance of Christians, observances to all appearances useful, and at all events well meant, but observances nonetheless not commanded. In the Word of God. These very observances have by and by been required with more vigor than God's own commandments, and defended with more zeal than the authority of God's own Word. We need not look far for examples. The history of our own church will supply them. Let us beware to add anything to the Word of God as necessary to salvation. It provokes God to give us over to judicial blindness. It is as good as saying that his Bible is not perfect, and that we know better than he does what is necessary for man's salvation. It is just as easy to destroy the authority of God's word by addition as by subtraction, by burying it under man's inventions as by denying its truth. The whole Bible, and nothing but the Bible, must be our rule of faith, nothing added, and nothing taken away. Finally, let us draw a broad line of distinction between those things in religion which have been devised by man and those which are plainly commanded in God's word. What God commands is necessary to salvation. What man commands is not. What man devises may be useful and expedient for the times, but salvation does not hinge on obedience to it. What God requires is essential to eternal life. He that willfully disobeys it ruins his own soul. That is the end of Ryle's expository thoughts for these verses. Let us carefully consider what we've heard today, and may the Lord be pleased to bring the growth for His glory. In considering what we've just heard, would you perfectly ask yourself and others the following questions? First, Are we aware of how dangerous false teaching is? How slippery it can be? Are we careful to watch our lives and our doctrine? Second, have we been humbled by the fact that God sees our hearts, what we are thinking, and what we really want? Do we believe that God cares most about the heart and asks us to give Him our hearts? Have we asked God to unite our divided hearts to fear his name? And third, there may be commands of men that are useful, but do they take precedence over God's commands? Do we really believe that God's word carries the authority of God himself?